Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Continue to be bold in asking questions and challenging and um, taking some risks. So, so don't ever lose that because that will stand you in good stead. Today I'm talking to Claire Barlow, who is the HR Director and a board member at the National Nuclear Laboratory. Claire lives in Preston with her husband Warren and daughter Hannah, who's just gone off to university. Welcome Claire and thanks for joining me. Thanks Andrew, it's, uh, it's great to be here and uh, following the footsteps of some wonderful podcasts that you've done today, so uh, no pressure there. <laughs> You're very kind. And I'm really looking forward to our chat actually. So. Um, you grew up in Liverpool. Uh, uh-huh. Tell us a little bit about the young Claire. What were you like at school? What did you enjoy? That sort of thing. And my sort of early years were shaped by my kind of family life, I guess, really, and, and, and obviously going into my school life as well. Um, and I, I had kind of a, a childhood that consisted of two worlds, really, Andrew. I was very fortunate to uh, be an only child with fantastic parents, um, had an absolutely wonderful childhood, but shaped by two very different parents. So I had a mum that was quite um, well off in inverted commas in, in, in the sense those days. So I had all the wonderful uh, opportunities. I went horse riding. I had piano lessons. I had clarinet lessons. I had the clothes. I had that kind of, you know, going to for meals and to theatres and things. Um, and my dad came from a really large Irish family, the McCarthy's in Liverpool. Um, and he was a rebel by nature. Um, he actually was the uh, literally the only boy in the village to go to university. So he was a very uh, intellectual uh, person. He ended up being an architect, but had a real rebel um, nature to him. So I kind of grew up with this sort of half conformist, half rebel kind of nature. And that really describes my school life. Um, so um, I conformed. I was quite bright. I did quite well. Um, but I was a little bit disruptive as well. Um, I can remember my art teacher on my report saying, um, if only Claire could paint with her tongue, what wonderful things we would see. Because I was a bit of a chatterbox, which may come as a surprise to you, Andrew. Um, so I really kind of led almost two different lives. And that kind of has shaped me really in, in later years as well. It's, it's really interesting that on the one hand, conforming and on the other hand, not conforming and challenging. And actually, that's a really interesting thing when you come and think about careers where you start and you want to fit in, but you also have this other side to you. Maybe that will come through a bit in the story. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will. And sometimes that sort of disruptive nature has really paid off. And sometimes, you know, it hasn't. And, and that's the risk you take, I guess. Uh, but, uh, but no, I had a wonderful time at school. Didn't do as well as I could have done, maybe. Um, I discovered life and going out and talking and socialising. Um, my parents had actually wanted me to go to private school. I sat the entrance exam and got through. And then even at 13... Uh, I rebelled and said I didn't want to go. I wanted to go to the local grammar school with my friends. And my dad was really good. He must have been so disappointed. But I think deep down knew that I would be okay wherever I went and allowed it to be my decision. What were the sort of subjects you sort of focused on or that just sort of fitted you? 
Um, definitely not cooking, if you ask my husband. Domestic science wasn't mine. Um, I absolutely loved maths. Um, that was probably uh, my favourite topic, but then the rest were all a, a sort of humanitarian subjects, so history, RE, um, English, um, I absolutely loved as well. Um, I have a real sort of moment um, when I was in uh, just finishing my O-levels as they were then, um, and I wanted to do maths A-level, and I can remember my um, tutor sitting me down saying... Um, I really needed to consider whether I wanted to do maths at A-level because it was more of a boys subject. And, I, you know, I'm going back to the late 70s now without giving my age away, but uh, it just goes to show how early on I could have been so shaped differently, I guess, in terms of understanding what was available to me and what opportunities were there. But I, that made the rebel come out in me even more, Andrew. So I did maths A-level. I did learn to, I did go to regret it, I think, later on, but... <laughs> That's where that kind of rebellious nature is so important because you're pushing the boundaries and you're pushing um, the sort of conventions uh, in a way which is so important, not just for you, but, you know, for people sort of following on, you know, a few steps behind you on that journey too. Absolutely. And I think, you know, having that sort of passion for what you want to do and obviously listening to advice as you go through, but actually being bold enough to, to stick by what you, what you want to do and make those decisions. I think I learned that quite early on. Mm-hmm. So when you left school, um, tell me about the, your sort of decision on what you did next, because you went and you worked with CBS Batteries in, as an accountancy trainee. So what was your thought process in doing that? I, uh, again, I think I was expected to go to university um, and uh, went off in the summer holidays after um, study and found myself a job. Didn't want to go to university. It was just something that um, was just, I don't know what it was. I just didn't sort of connect with me in any way. I wanted to go and I wanted to learn, but I wanted to earn money. I wanted to go and experience different things. So I uh, got a job without telling my parents and then broke the news that I wasn't going to university. That is one of the mistakes. I think if I had my time again, Andrew, I probably regretted it. And I think within about eight weeks of starting work, I realized I'd made a mistake, but um, I'm I don't believe in looking back and dwelling on it. So I think I realized I'd probably done the wrong decision and then spent the next 30 years trying to prove to myself that I had as much right to do what I was doing, even though I hadn't gone to university. Um, And we may talk about it later, but I think that baggage probably didn't even leave me till about 10 years ago. It's really interesting that because you talk to people who, you know, for all good reasons and what's right for them, um, you know, have done different sort of paths, but often they do look at a different path, whether it's university or something else, and say, I wish I'd done that. I think, you know, carrying that baggage around, it was me that was carrying it around. It wasn't stopping what my job opportunities could be. I mean, I did go back and do two degrees and went back and did it the hard way. Um, but I guess, you know, for me, when I look back now, um, I really let that sort of uh, affect me in terms of having to prove that I was still good enough, even though I hadn't gone through the traditional route. No, that's really interesting. And, and it, it also sort of shows that once you'd made the decision, there was something in you that, that really stuck to it and you were going to see it through and find your way through that. Absolutely. Yeah, that tenacity. Um, I don't know where it came from, but I've always had that. Um, so yeah, so I joined CBS Batteries, started off as a trainee accountant, and I joined at the same time as sort of three or four young people, um, quite a small company, a national company, but quite small. Um, and again, because I realized that I needed to do something different, I, I, I needed to differentiate myself. I kind of joined with sort of a group of young people 
um, as we all do when we, when we join even graduate programs and things like that. Real good camaraderie, fantastic group, learned so much just from my co colleagues at the same age, but had this real thirst to, to, to go forward. So I was the one that was, you know, you could see them rolling their eyes. I would volunteer for anything, you know. If somebody needed to man reception, I wouldn't say, hang on, I'm a trainee accountant. I go, yeah, I'll man reception. It'll give me a chance to speak to customers. Um, they'll know who I am. The owners will get to see, you know. So I just kind of grabbed those opportunities all the time to kind of differentiate myself um, and, and sort of also as well discover a little bit about me going straight into your first job you're not even sure who you are at the time um, and I realized very quickly that as much as I was very good with numbers accountancy probably wasn't for me <laughs> but I probably learned that by doing a stint on reception or you know helping you know do whatever I could do when I was there um, and uh, you know meeting customers and I sort of saw a different side because you don't know what you don't know when you first start work you don't and actually putting yourself in in, into those different situations and as you say vol volunteering for all sorts of things gives you a chance to kind of test yourself and find out things that you enjoy that you wouldn't I mean it wouldn't be awful I've often thought to get to the end of your life and discover you could have been an amazing violin player but you'd never picked up a violin and tried you know that's really good because you're sort of bringing your whole self to work and your character and, and your interest in trying things out people will have noticed that I'm sure yeah, and, and I often, you know, when I've over my career and I've sort of coached young people, I guess, and worked with people who are starting off on, on the career, I kind of reflect around. Um, I did have a conformer side of me, you know, I dressed a certain way. I was, you know, well behaved in that way. I, I knew about corporate life, but I never, ever stopped to question whether I should be myself or not. I was just always myself. And sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't. But um, I always remember my dad saying to me, you know, as long as you can look at yourself in the mirror and know that you were true to yourself and that, that, that those kind of words have stayed with me right the way through. And not everybody likes it. Not everybody might like me. I might find I'm wrong for a company or they're wrong for me, but that, that's fine. I just think that sort of staying true to yourself is really quite important. So you did some other roles then, and then you um, you moved around a little bit. Was it Ethel Austin you moved you moved to went into payroll and personnel? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I met my husband there. Funnily enough, and I guess those first early careers, um, I, I did. I just sort of did two two to three years in two or three companies, but that was that was conscious. It wasn't because I was miserable anywhere, but I just needed to keep learning and, and to grow. Um, because I, in my head, I was still trying to make up for where I might have joined the job market had I gone to university. So um, certainly when I moved to um, Miller and Sandhouse and Boots, I went back and did my uh, business degree, did my postgrad and did all my studying there, um, which kind of almost sort of legitimized what I'd been learning and what I knew. And I hadn't realized, as I say, that was important to me, but it, but it was, and it still is. And, I, and I, I think that's really important that people get some of that recognition for what they know and what they learn. And how did you find the sort of balancing of your day job and also doing a sort of degree? Were you given release time or did you have to do things in your own time? How, how did that sort of work? Bit of both. Um, I got half day release to go to college and then did all of the, you know, the, the study in my own time. And it was hard. I'd just recently got married. It was probably harder for Warren than it was for me, actually. Um, it was tough. It was really tough um, and, you know, wobbled a few times, um, but still had really supportive parents who were there, which was great and just kept looking at what were, where my next steps could be and where it was leading me to, which kept me going. But it was hard. Mm -hmm. 
but that tenacity in you sort of won out I guess it did and I think that's why I'm still sort of an avid reader and, and still reading workbooks I mean funny enough I've just been rearranging my office with all this wonderful homeworking and rereading some of those books and I think that was because in my early days I was managing both the job and study but it was hard and it is hard but recognizing it's hard and um, keep going and so what what do you think you sort of learned about yourself during that that period so you've done a number of different sorts of jobs so you were trying things out and then you started you know doing some studying as well to to i guess broaden your knowledge and deepen your knowledge and so on so you were kind of equipping yourself and getting skilled in things did you discover anything new about yourself during that time that surprised you or you realized for the first time? Yeah, um, I, I, there's, there's two things that spring to mind, really. The first is that um, I actually didn't have a plan. Um, uh, and, and for somebody who keeps quoting, start with the end in mind in later life, at the time, I didn't know what the end in mind was. I just knew it was better and it was something out of reach. Um, so I learned that actually, um, sometimes, uh, by not having a fixed plan is when you're, you take opportunity the most because you don't analyze whether it's ticking a box or, you know, will I get that next job now? If I do this, I just grabbed everything at the time. So I definitely learned that about me that sometimes not having everything mapped out is actually quite good for somebody who does have a little bit of a control nature. Um, the other thing I learned about myself actually came from something that wasn't so positive. Um, in, in one of the companies I worked for, um, I was um, fairly senior, fairly young. Um, I'd got to kind of sound senior. It was then I was kind of deputy payroll manager, which, you know, early 20s is quite, quite a senior role. Um, and um, the work environment I was in and some of the behaviours from some of the more senior people, when I look back now, were not so good. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't go as far as to use the phrases like, you know, bullying and things like that, but it was quite a toxic environment. And I hadn't appreciated that because how young I was, you kind of look up and say, those people must have it right the way they're behaving. Um, and I can remember having long conversations with my father about, you know, how I was feeling and what they were doing. And he was kind of telling me, no, that that's not acceptable. Um, just because they're older doesn't necessarily mean they're wiser and uh, don't mirror it. So I learned really about sort of watching not just people who I could learn from, but actually watching how I didn't want to do it as well. And I definitely in Ethel um, Austin's, my big takeaway was just treat people nice uh, as people. You can still have conversations about poor performance and about things not being done, but you can do it in a way where you don't destroy somebody's confidence. Um, so um, it sounds really basic, but, you know, just being nice to people, it's amazing what you can get from them. <laughs> and, and again, I've tried to um, carry that through. Again, that that's really speaks of your sort of character because it's quite hard in a in a work environment, as you say, when you're young and you're looking up to people, and there is that sort of cultural element in all organisations, isn't there? And you know the values and the behaviours that, that 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 sort of flow from that. Um, but to sort of make a, I suppose, a stand in your world in that part of the company to do things differently and to make a decision, you know, with great advice from your dad and that. I think shows a real strength of character because that's swimming against the tide a bit, isn't it? 
It is. And I think, again, some of the decisions later on at life to leave organisations, I think, you know, you, you can leave for different reasons. Sometimes it's right to leave to develop your career. Sometimes it's right to leave because maybe you're not surrounded by people who are helping you grow. And sometimes it's right to leave just because that match of somebody's culture and values doesn't match your own. And I didn't do it consciously at a young age because I, I don't think I was that aware. But when I look back, you know, that, that, that played a big part in some of my decisions. But on the reverse side of that, oh, some of the wonderful companies I've worked at where, you know, I'm, I've matched the values and had some wonderful people and just grown as a person is amazing. So tell us about one of those roles, because you, 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 you then you moved into Boots for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I actually worked for a, a national opticians who were taken over by Boots and, and sort of had the uh, unendable job of actually closing sites down and uh, rationalising, um, which I stayed because I hadn't had that experience. So I was kind of putting another skill in my portfolio, which sadly in the 80s and 90s came in handy when there were lots of redundancy programmes going on. Um, I did get the opportunity to relocate to Nottingham with Boots, but decided not to as much as I wanted to travel. Um, it, it wasn't really on my radar. Um, so I joined an, a, a company called Cornea, who were a, um, a global aluminium company um, known as Alcoa uh, worldwide. Uh, joined them um, in 1990 and just had the most um, amazing, amazing eight years uh, of my career there. Um, I got interviewed by the um, personnel director for employee relations manager job. Um, and it was one of those sort of light bulb moments in the interview when I thought to myself, and I'm not, I'm not an overly confident person, despite my extrovert uh, tendencies. I looked at this guy and thought I could do that job. Um, and I actually didn't have the experience for the job I was applying for. The, the sort of industrial relations side of it was probably my weak area. But I got the job and I took it and I was outside my comfort zone. But I knew that if I stuck with it, developed and learned in another couple of years, I'd probably have a shot at the top job. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so I had a baptism of fire, um, uh, 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 sort of in a real industrial site plant in Liverpool. Um, lots of strikes, lots of work to rules, lots of sort of uh, all the ER kind of stuff that was around um, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, uh, sneaky insight I'm probably a socialist by background so I actually believe in workers rights and 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 so as well as having some of that conflict I feel really proud that we we move the organization forward and developing a slightly different culture there but loved loved every minute of it that's amazing because that, those, those sort of situations for me I, I just want to run a mile away from those things but it sounded like you you were running towards them and absolutely loved it. what what was it about it that 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 gave you such a buzz do you think I just think it's, it's having the ability to see where other people are coming from and what drives people's behaviours. I think I'd gone through doing my degree and my studying at that point. So I understood about, you know, people's outlook on life being shaped by their own experiences and their own sort of environments. I understood about the diversity of people, what happens when you get lots of people with different, different backgrounds with different drivers together and how you can use that as an advantage to create something really quite powerful rather than divisive. And I just people watched. I, I'm just fascinated in people's stories. Um, that's why I listen to all your podcasts, Andrew. Little plug there. Um, but I, I, again, I just think it's a privilege to hear people's backgrounds and understand why they're doing what they're doing. And I just, it was just, it was just rich for that. I just loved every minute of it. And I guess sort of understanding 
issues from other people's perspectives. And I guess that sort of builds trust with people because they're being listened to and, and not just listened to, but understood as well. So did you have that sort of, were you able to build trust where perhaps there hadn't been trust and that sort of thing because of that, that listening and, and understanding approach? And, and it's not judging, I think, Andrew, and I, I go back to my childhood, you know, equally as I had sort of, you know, the piano lessons and the horse riding lessons, you would also find me on a Saturday afternoon in an Irish bar in Liverpool, dancing on the tables with family playing guitar and, you know, very working class, you know, backgrounds. And I just, and, and no one was better than the other. It, it was, it's just the richness of, of lots of different people um, and, and not judging. I just, you know, I, I've had some judgments all the way through my life which uh you know it, it still astounds me I can remember gosh only going back about 10 10 years ago being in a, a meeting in central London where somebody very very senior um asked me if my accent had ever held my career back and I went right back to being that child who dropped out of school and hadn't gone to uni and I just the damage it does just those inconsiderate comments and thoughts and uh, and you know i'm sure i've probably done some without realizing over the years but uh, desperately try not to it's about building people up yeah that, that's an enormous strength um and and you know and working together you know we just we see it uh, in you and you know it, it sort of speaks to me a little bit about it's not just you bring your qualifications and your experience to the job but you bring who you are Absolutely. I was very lucky in, in Alcoa to have a, a really super mentor. He was an American guy, actually, um, who kind of did, did two things for me, really. He, um, <laughs> he reminded me to, um, that it isn't just about yourself when you're developing your career. Um, he kind of brought it home to me that, you know, those people that at some point in time you may want to lead, they have to have seen you as, uh, as part of them as you've gone through that career path. You know, that old adage, you know, you'd be nice to people going up because you'll need them on the way down kind of thing. Um, and he also convinced me. So I ended up being sort of what it, personnel director as it was in those days. And he ended up convincing me to leave that job and take another job away from HR at a lower level. So there I was at kind of 24, 25, company car, healthcare, really good salary, only female in the management team, all of that sort of stuff. And here was this guy telling me, if you seriously want to be a fantastic HR director at some point, you need to go and work in production, you need to go and work in ops, you need to go and get more business experience. And he convinced me to come away from my function and my sort of trajectory going up and, and really broadening my experience and again that that learned, not only learned me new skills but you know met me with different people and I would absolutely not be where I am not you know, dizzy heights but I would not be where I am today um certainly understanding business without that piece of advice and did you find it easy to kind of step out of your sort of comfort zone into those other areas how, how did you cope and you know if, if there's somebody listening who you know it's got that unity what would be your advice to them uh, it wasn't easy, Andrew. I think, you know, certainly when you do well at a young age, you do get sort of sidetracked by the, the money and the car and the status. Um, and actually, um, you know, just took time out to reflect, go again, going back to my childhood. My childhood was never about status. Um, it was about experiences. Um, so that was kind of that I, I, I found a way to connect what I was doing with who I was and, you know, finding that link. 
um, and, and just took the plunge. And my husband was really supportive. You know, we, we, you know, we, we sort of took a step down financially and, um, and having those people around you giving you the confidence. Um, but, oh, absolutely, the richness of what it did for me, not only, you know, in the end financially, I guess, but as a person was amazing. And I had such fun. I had such fun. There's nothing better than taking advantage of being the ignorant one in a new business area or team. You know, you've probably seen it for the first few months of joining NNL. There's nothing better than being able to say, I know this may sound a very ignorant question, but... And usually it's not an ignorant question no. at all. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, what else came with that decision, which I would never have envisaged, I ended up working in Holland, I ended up working in the States, I ended up working in France, in Poland, I travelled, um, I can remember driving through New York on my own at 25 to deliver a strategy meeting with the board, um, I learned about product development, um, trained in Six Sigma, Black Belt, ran an operation it, it just the richness of what it gave me that nobody could have put down on paper um and i think you know sort of i hear lots of people saying well if i do that will it lead to uh, and you know maybe 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 not but it will lead to something yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I was gonna say you couldn't have a plan for that sort of career could you because no. if you had a plan you'd be feeling like you were going around in circles for a period yeah but, um, yeah and i i can remember um waking up one morning and, and going out into Robert Redford's ranch in Sundance to fly fish and standing in his ranch fly fishing in waders um, having my HR team and my ops team had just been voted team of the year in North America thinking if when somebody had told me to step down as personnel director in Runcorn in Liverpool that I would have ever have ended up fly fishing in Robert Redford's ranch you know? Where did that come from? You know, they're amazing those moments, aren't you? When you, you just sort of stop and you think, how did this happen? How did I end up here? Yeah. What it did make me realise, though, Andrew, and again, something that I know certainly people later on in their career as well. Sometimes uh, pride takes over. Having a mentor, um, life changing, um, and you know, I still have one now, and I still have a coach now, and that's not because I'm not good at something or I've got a problem. It's just that ongoing support to 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 you know enrich i guess yes yes and, and did the, the mentor or the mentors that you've had did they sort of bridge different companies or were they within companies because i'm just aware you then moved into sort of british airways and on from british airways into bae systems and so on but did you have sort of people who were sort of constant in your career who could advise you wherever you were or did it come with the I didn't really, actually. It's a really good observation. Never thought of it like that. I guess the only person who mentored me all the way through at the time till unfortunately passed away was my dad. Um, he was probably, you know, it sounds a bit corny, but he was probably my biggest mentor. But no, it was actually in the companies that I worked, but not necessarily in my immediate area. So I, there I was in Liverpool and my mentor was somebody from the United States. So consciously consciously picking somebody and even when I went later on in career even in BAE picking somebody that wasn't in my immediate work area I think so just you know was advantageous to me anyway and what was it about the sort of mentor and the relationship you had that added value were they giving you good advice or giving you insight or were they a sounding board what what was the the thing that sort of made the difference there's a couple of things Andrew I think the first thing for me was it was a safe environment to talk. I think especially when you're in HR, you're often the person that 
plays that role indirectly and and it's quite difficult to drop that sometimes so to me personally it, it was a it was a safe environment um and it was to me it's somebody who just makes me slow down and stop and reflect and just take a breather um you know all those sort of corny phrases break between stimulus and response just somebody who could play back to me i think um and push me and challenge me um it wasn't necessarily a technical mentor wasn't necessarily somebody who was teaching me around my technical field that i was in just more about discovering who i was um invaluable yeah that's that's that is invaluable isn't it I, you know i can think of probably two or three people in my career very very similar who you knew you could have a safe conversation with and would give you that time just to re- reflect and think what's important to me now and challenge and the honesty you know? yeah and the, and the honesty, honesty as well yeah absolutely absolutely so um you then went to say british airways and then on to ba systems were there any moments in either of those jobs that you know changed you or or challenged you um in different ways I mean, at the company I was with, when I was saying I was over in America, I was due to relocate to America, actually. Warren and I had sold our house and we were moving over to join the company in the States. And unfortunately, my dad passed away, um, which was a really, really, uh, uh, still is a, a life-changing moment for me, I guess. Um, so um, only child, didn't particularly want to leave the country. The company were fantastic. And I took myself off and dealt with what I'd gone through. And I relocated down to South Wales, um, just outside Cardiff, um, uh, which, was, which was great. Um, and that's where I got headhunted for British Airways. Um, loved, absolutely loved working for British Airways. Uh, we were a standalone subsidiary. They were moving all of the sort of heavy maintenance into Cardiff. Um, and it was just wonderful. I just worked with the, the most fantastic managing director that I just really gelled with. I love the company values. Um, just had a, a wonderful time there and actually probably would have stayed a lot longer. Um, only um, Hannah came along after 14 years of being married. So um, that was quite life changing. And that, that was in a strange way on a personal level. I kind of struggled with that because my life had always been about my career. And now I was having to take maternity leave. You know, how were they going to manage without me, Andrew? Seven, 747s were never going to fly again, you know. And I had to really come to terms with the fact that actually... Um, influencing doesn't necessarily need to, you don't need to be present to influence you can influence in a more introverted way than extroverted ways so that was probably a, a big learning curve for me because I stayed connected with the business and still felt that I had an influencing role but I wasn't it wasn't about presenteeism it was about you know uh, quality of influence I guess and then joined BAE systems where I would probably say I had the next best fantastic 10 years of my life um, uh, and at this point, I'd sort of, you know, I joined as a director now. So I was at a certain stage of my career. And my growth and my sort of development came from the joy I got in developing my team. Um, so um, I, I always surround myself with people who are better than me and people who have those skills and strengths that I don't have. And I always try and recruit my successor really quickly and develop and and that's really what BAE allowed me to do I worked with some fantastic HR people watch them grow watch them develop um and absolutely uh, got so much pleasure from that it's it's a really interesting one that isn't it about recruiting your successor and working with people who are better than you because the, the risk half of people's brain will go but you're working yourself out of a job 
but the positive side of your brain will be will be going yes because i'm looking forward to the next one absolutely absolutely the phrase i always use to people is i'm not working myself out of a job i've started the recruitment process for my new job and 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 that that's exactly what it is exactly what it is i don't i don't have any fear of that at all uh, you know a strength of a leader is having people in your team that are better stronger and collectively come together so no, no weakness about that and it's a really important message actually for for our industry in nuclear where we talk about the age profile or the experience profile and succession and everything like that and to see everybody in the industry looking to see who will replace me when I move on to my next challenge really strengthens the whole sector and the companies within it and the teams within the companies and and and, and so on so it's a, fan, it's a fantastic sort of lesson to kind of broadcast isn't it you know organizations need to have that internal resilience and they can only have that by making sure that knowledge transfer takes place um and and to me everybody has an equal role in that you know the person who's at the end of their career has as much responsibility as the per to, to share as the person at the start of their career to pull you know that kind of push pull knowledge transfer is is critical and only only by doing that will organizations especially in our industry andrew um you know you need to build that resilience in I want to take you back to that that rebellious, slightly conformist sort of uh, girl at, at school. And um, given what you know now, what would be your um, your advice to her? Continue to be bold in asking questions and challenging, and um, taking some risks. So so don't ever lose that because that will stand you in good stead. Um, but I guess just continue to watch around you what's happening as well. So know when the environment you're in is maybe not getting the best out of you um, and have a look how you can, you know, move on from that, I guess. Um, you're going to love this, uh, Andrew, mindset, skill set, tool set, a phrase of mine. You know, when you notice your mindset slipping or that your skill set's not keeping up, do something about it. Um, uh, and, and just continue to watch, learn, and differentiate yourself. Um, my advice would be sometimes just slow down, a little bit of a break between stimulus and response, you know, going back to I will get myself a job in the summer holidays and not go to uni. Um, and watch when your strengths are overextended. Um, so um, I, I'm, I'm disruptive, but when I overextend that, I can be a bit petulant child. Um, so just watch out for those signs in yourself and surround yourself with people who are brave enough to point those out to you from time to time. Yes, yeah, that's sort of almost it's sort of emotional intelligence, isn't it? It's being comfortable with who you are, but also understanding the impact you have on others and listening to what they feed back to you. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, it's not just about surrounding yourself with people who tell you how fantastic you are. It's also you know, you grow more from those people who you've got the relationship that they can just point something out to you as well, you know. Oh, Claire, that's it's been absolutely fascinating. Thanks for um, sharing all those stories and insights and um, experiences through, through your journey. No, it's fine. I've really enjoyed it. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.